Hey, good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing this morning? Blessed. Blessed. I love that. Let me just pray for us before we begin. Okay, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father God, we thank you so much for uh, bringing all of us, our family, together for worship this morning. And Lord, I pray that, um, that as we learn about you, especially as we learn about the fruit of the Spirit, God, you would open up our hearts wide so your word would go deep, so that we may not only know your word with our head, but Lord, that we would live it out with our heart. So Father, be with us this morning, uh, be with me as I share your word, that I'll be faithful to your word, and God, uh, that you, your presence will be here with us. God, we thank you so much, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Hey, uh, welcome to South Bay Community Church. If you are new here today, my name is Caleb. I am not the teaching pastor, I am not the senior pastor, but I am the worship pastor. Um, I don't get to speak a whole lot, but I've led worship for many, many years, exactly 25 years. Um, it started when I was 18. I was at UCLA, and I just loved worship, and I was young and green, and God gave me these opportunities to lead worship. So I started with youth ministry, and then fears down the line, God opened the doors for me to lead worship in college ministry. And then as I got older and older, God opened doors even wider to adult ministries. And of all the years that I've had a chance to lead worship, um, I have just one regret, which is I've never had a chance to lead worship for kids' ministry. I don't know what it is. I've never had that kind of opportunity. Maybe, maybe I'm just not good with kids. Maybe other kids, uh, other than myself, my own, maybe I've, I just don't have that connection with kids. Maybe I'm, I'm scared of kids. Maybe, maybe I know that because their attention span is so short, I keep asking myself, what if they don't sing? What if they don't respond? What if they don't like me? Right? So I go through, through this uh, fear in my heart. Well, you're in luck today because I want to fulfill one of my worship leading bucket lists. I want to sing a kid's song, kid's worship song with you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sing this song one time because I probably, you probably, most of you who grew up in the church, you probably know this song and, and you've sung it when you were growing up in your Sunday school. And after I sing it, we're going to sing it together one more time. Okay? Okay, so we're going to do this together. The song goes like this. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart, down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. We're going to sing this one more time, but let me just tell you something. We sang this song last night, and uh, the congregation last night, it was pretty weak. You know, don't tell them, okay? It's just a secret between you and I. But um, it was pretty weak. They sang as if there was no joy in their heart. So let's, let's outdo that a little bit, okay? Let's, let's, let's up the ante a little bit. And, and I want to hear you sing. Imagine yourself, you're in Sunday school, okay? And, and I'm your Sunday school leader, okay? And I'm singing this song to you. Imagine, and just, let's just sing it out from our hearts, okay? Let's sing that again. I've got the joy, 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 joy down. Where? Down in my Where? Down in my heart, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. I'm so happy, so very happy. 
I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. Come on, give yourself a round of applause. Great job, you guys. Why is this song so important for us as we start off this message? It's so funny because as I was preparing the message, I was thinking about this song, and I actually discovered three very important truths. Number one, that joy is deep. It's located where? Deep down in my heart. It's not some superficial joy, but it's deep down. Number two, that happiness is an outcome of joy. That joy precedes happy, and we are happy because of joy. And number three, where do we get this joy? It's from the love of Jesus. That my expression of joy comes from the love of Jesus that's in my heart, causing me to be happy. Profound, isn't it? I think I'm done with the message. I think we just go home right now. Um, we can learn a lot from children's song. Well, today we are continuing in this series that we've been journeying through the last few months called God Inside. And last weekend, Pastor Greg did an amazing job uh, teaching us about uh, this topic of the fruit of the Spirit. You see, as we've been journeying in the last few months through Scripture, we learned the different aspects of the Holy Spirit and the functions of the Holy Spirit. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is, if the Holy Spirit is alive, is working and breathing inside of, inside of us, how are we to live? What is that expression, the outward characteristics of such, of such spirit? What is the fruit of spirit? Last weekend, we studied from the book of Galatians chapter 5, and then I want us to tackle that same verse again, because we're going to, as we go through this series, we're going to probably read the same verse for the ne next seven weeks or so. And so if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Galatians chapter 5, or if you uh, have a smartphone that you would prefer to use, uh, you could use our SPCC app, or you could download it if you don't have one on the Apple uh, App Store or the Google Play Store for Android users. Let's read Galatians chapter 5, verse 20, 20 to 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Just a quick recap from our uh, uh, from our study last week. The fruit of the Spirit is one fruit. It's not multiple fruits. Though there are multiple characteristics of the fruit, it's combined as one outcome bearing one fruit. I love this quote from uh, Pastor Tim Keller. He says, the Christian growth is symmetrical. Paul deliberately uses the singular word fruit to describe a whole list of things that grow in a spirit-filled person. The real fruit of the Spirit always grow up together. They are one. This is very important for us to know and understand because we can naturally be stronger in one part of the fruit than in others. You could say, I am a joyful person. And another person could say, I am a faithful person. But if it's not fueled by the Holy Spirit, that one strength that you have in that characteristic is just your natural temperament. Because you don't want to be confused with having a certain personality versus living by the fruit of the Spirit. For instance, I have this friend. 
He is always joyful. He's always happy. He's always bubbly. And whenever I get to, I get to see him, I get excited because I know he is happy to see me. In fact, wherever he goes, whatever environment that he is in, he's always happy. He's able to make friends real quickly. He's that type of a person. He could engage with people real quickly. But I know something that's deep inside of him. In fact, he actually doesn't have real close friends. He doesn't have real uh, just lasting friendships, meaning he is not faithful in keeping lasting friendships. You see, he may show joy on the outside, but he lacks the faithfulness of maintaining friendship on the inside. I would not consider him to be living the fruit of the Spirit other than the fact that he is just a natural extrovert, that it's his natural temperament. This is very important for us to know because as we tackle this uh, fruit of joy today, I often find that we get this part confused because we, t- we tend to think that the people who are joyful are always happy, someone who always puts on a smile, someone who is able to brighten up a room when he or she enters in. That may be true, but it's not always a complete picture of a joyful fruit. Because when we read scripture, most joyful people did not live in the happiest circumstances. Most joyful people in the Bible did not, was not always happy in their circumstances. Most joyful people did not depend on their natural temperaments either. You look at someone like Apostle Paul, who was he before he became a Christ follower? He was a persecutor of Christians. He was a murderer. And even after he became a Christian, he was persecuted. He was beaten. He was chained. Do you think Paul was a happy person? Probably not. Do you think he was an extrovert? Probably not. But when you read through all of Paul's letters, he always says he has the joy inside of him, that he was joyful, that his temperament did not dictate his joy, that most joyful people did not become Christ followers to find happiness. Will you feel this in? Joy is not happiness. But being happy is a feeling. Because we all know that happy feeling when we experience it. It's when something I like happens to me. The word happy comes from this 14th century English word, the word hap, meaning chance, fortune, and luck. And as luck would have it, happiness is instant. It comes and it goes. Therefore, being happy is very fickle. The feeling is very unreliable. It comes and goes based based on what happens. It's not stable. It comes in spurts and it goes away. For example, some of you may know I love to eat, right? I love to eat and I am happy when I eat. But when I'm hungry and when I don't have a chance to eat, I get upset, sometimes angry or what we call hangry at that moment. You see, happiness is very momentary. It's very erratic. You probably know this popular preschool song. Uh, if your parents here, you probably sang this song many, many times to your kids. If you're happy and you know it, what do you do? Clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, then your what face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, what do you do? Clap your hands. 
that is the extent of your happiness. If you're always seeking for that lasting happiness, it's worth two claps. That's how quickly it comes and it goes. And then there's joy. Joy is a condition of an entire person. Joy is a condition. I love that the, the fact that the fruit of the Spirit is never a feeling, but it's someone's settled character. It provides stability across all circumstances. You see, if I keep idolizing the feeling of being happy, I will never enter into that place, that condition of having joy. If I'm always looking for that spurts and the moments of happiness, there will never be a constant striving to enter into that place of joy. Joy is a pervasive sense of our well-being. It is a condition into where I must grow into. That's why joy is always greater than happiness. When I think about uh, joy that's lasting, I think about the act of generosity. Isn't it true that when you give something to somebody, when you're generous to somebody, there's a, there's, a, there's a joy that comes out of you, right? Versus when you receive a gift from somebody, you're just happy. Uh, when my son was about to turn seven, he, we were a couple days in, uh, leading into his birthday, and uh, he was really, really excited to receive all the gifts that he was going to get from his grandparents and aunts and aunts, uncles and friends and whatever you. And yet, my wife and I had this conversation right before he turned seven, where we talked about what if we were to give Jonah an opportunity to not only receive, but to give to somebody else. And so what we did is we actually researched Compassion International, and, and we found this one girl named Gail from Philippines. And Gail is actually the same age as my son. And so we, we sat Jonah down, and I remember that scene very, very vividly. We said, Jonah, we're so excited to celebrate your birthday, and uh, we can't wait to just have everyone over and give you all these gifts. However, what if for this one birthday, instead of just receiving these gifts, what if you were to give something away? And he was a little puzzled because it's my birthday. I don't want to give anything away. I'm here to receive. I'm here to collect. Um, and then we explained to him what compassion does. And we showed him a picture of Gail. And uh, we told him, Gail is the same age, age as you, but she doesn't have all the necessities to go to school or for food and just basic necessities of life. And, and I would love for us to give and, and just sponsor her once a month. And he was really happy about it. He was actually very joyful at the opportunity. So we sponsored this girl named Gail, and here's a picture of all the, uh, the letters that we've been receiving and communicating throughout the years. It's been five years since we started this journey. Was Jonah happy to receive his gifts on his birthday? Absolutely, he was so happy. But Jonah was grateful and his heart was joyful when he had an opportunity to give to somebody else. You see, he will always remember Gail from the Philippines for the rest of his life. I don't know if he will remember the exact gift he received on his seventh birthday. Because happiness is spontaneous. Joy is long-lasting. Earlier this week, I was talking to my wife on our way home, and I asked her, what is the difference between joy and happiness? And I kind of put her on a spot. And she thought about it for a while. And she, she talked about marriage as joy. And I said, oh, this is interesting. She said, 
you're happy when you first get married because you finally found that one person that you want to live, for the, uh, live with for the rest of your life. And you make that commitment. And so you're so happy to start that journey. But joy comes when over the years of journeying together through the good, the painful, and the happy moments of life, that's when you reflect on the joy in your marriage. That in marriage, joy comes when two imperfect people, two broken people, two messed up people decide to live together and do life together under Christ and with one another. That's what we got to stop calling marriage a happily ever after, but I would want to call it joyfully ever after. When we refer to this joy as long-lasting joy, it's not a manufactured joy, but it's from the Spirit. That joy is a spiritual nature. You see, in every Christ follower's life, there's two natures at work, constantly in battle with each other. The one is our sinful, our fleshly nature. The other one is our spiritual nature. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 17, Paul outlines this very clearly. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I love that last line. That our fleshly nature keeps us away from, the doing, from doing the things that we actually want to do in the Spirit. That sin pulls us away from allowing the Holy Spirit to work within us. To be joyful in the Spirit is to constantly fight against your own desires of the flesh. Paul is saying this is what we really want to do. As we live in the Spirit, we really want to have joy. Not just any joy, but a joy that is being poured out. Because what is the opposite of joy? What happens when joy is not at work, when we are not able to do the things that we actually want to do? Galatians 5, 20 to 21 says, It's strife, it's jealousy, it's rivalry, it's fits of anger, and all of that leads up to hopelessness and despair. These are the outcomes of the flesh. When there's no true joy, when there's no, uh, no joy in, of the Spirit living and being poured out, then we're allowing the fleshly nature, our sinful nature, to do its work. We're not able to do things that we really want to do. When we do something without joy of the Spirit, it becomes work. It becomes an obligation. I think about this in the area of our service. I love the fact that in our church, we have an army of volunteers. And those of you serving in different capacities, you do an amazing job. And you're actually living out 1 Corinthians 12, where we are one body, but we have different parts, many parts doing different things to support that one body. And I love the fact that we get to do this every weekend. But sometimes when we serve, isn't it true that we tend to serve to gain joy? We do something, we volunteer to, uh, for something so that we could gain some kind of joy, some kind of fulfillment out of it. And in fact, it's actually nothing wrong with it. However, what if we were to serve out of the overflowing joy we have in Christ? That I serve because I have this overflowing joy of Jesus in me that propels me to serve others. It's a slight difference, and yet I think it could be the game changer in your posture of service. Instead of looking at joy as a byproduct of my service, we serve out of the joy we have in Jesus. 
and we serve others because of that. Because this is what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. That in our service, we're not seeking for joy to fulfill a longing. We serve because of joy. That when you serve out of this overflowing joy in your heart, it no longer becomes an obligation. It becomes an extension of the Spirit working in you and me. So when you serve in kids' crew, from the overflowing joy of your heart, the kids could see your heart. When you volunteer as advisors for evolution or legacy, from the overflowing joy of your heart, the students could see your heart, that joy that's inside of your heart. When you're outside in the parking lot, directing traffic in the heat, the heat has nothing on you. The heat has nothing on your joy. When you go on mission trips to this foreign land that you, you don't even know the language, you don't even know how to speak the language, and yet when you see somebody, when you see somebody and when you serve them out of joy, your heart speaks louder than your words. In all of this, you are no longer fighting against the desires of the flesh, but you are doing this, the things that you want to do out of joy. I share this a lot with our worship teams and tech teams, and every time we get together uh, for group meetings, I always share with them that I don't want them to serve out of obligation. Yes, we have needs, but I don't want them to come to fulfill the need. I want them to want to serve. You know that phrase we always hear, God doesn't need us, but he wants us. I kind of tweaked that as well in our, in our ministries. I said, you know, we don't need you. Actually, we need you, but we don't need you, okay? But we want you to want to serve from the joy that's deep in your heart. That's why it's so important for us to know that joy is of a spiritual nature. It can only come out of the spirit and not of the flesh. Because what happens when others see you serve out of that joy, it becomes contagious, right? Because joy is contagious. Would you feel that in? Joyful people are contagious people. They are easily drawn uh, we are easily drawn to them. I, I saw this article this week. Uh, it's called WeForum.org. It stands for World Economic Forum. And that examines why happiness is contagious. She looks really happy on that photo. <laughs> and in one of their studies, um, it says that Facebook users in Germany and in the U.S. found that reading other people's positive posts triggered happiness in 64% of people. This means just by posting your funny cat videos or some funny memes or your vacation photos or some heartwarming stories can trigger happiness in multiple people. I think it's true. This week earlier, I saw uh, Paul Falkenstein's uh, Facebook post, and he wrote, you can't buy happiness, but you can buy bacon, which are about the same thing. <laughs> Amen to that, right? The article further reads, think of it this way. Your good news positively influences your friends who in turn, who in their turn, positively influence their friends. With one positive post, you can brighten up a, a day of someone you have never met. Isn't that amazing? Through, through social media, you could post something and then it could have multiple effects into multiple people's lives. If a simple good news positively influences others through this social medium we call Facebook. 
Imagine when we live our lives in joy of the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that when we express this joy of the Spirit living in our lives, imagine the influence that will have on so many other lives. Imagine how contagious it could be. This is why I love our baptism celebrations. I love the fact that we get to celebrate life, and there's genuine joy that happens when you experience life in Christ by being dunked in the water and coming out of that water. I have yet to see anyone who comes out of that water looking sad, looking like they regretted what they just did, right? They're always happy. There's always joy when you come out of that experience. Why? Because even before you went into that water, you made that conscious choice. You made that life-changing choice saying, because of the joy that I have in Jesus, I'm going to go and make this public declaration. But it doesn't end there because those of us who are on the, on the outskirts of that baptism pool, we get to see that joy right away. And we get to celebrate it together as a family. That's why fruit of joy is contagious. It's contagious when it's lived out fully. The same joy is also contagious when you see others endure through difficult, difficult seasons of life. I, I often think about uh, Pastor Dave Romero, um, and many of you know just the, uh, just the heartache that he had to go through through his cancer treatment. And uh, I think about the last five weeks of his life that he had to endure through all these different treatments and also the more treatments that he will receive in the future. And yet, I can't help but to see this genuine joy in his heart. He's not just some happy-go-lucky guy. When you see him on stage, he just looks so happy all the time, right? When he's giving announcements, when he's welcoming you guys, when he's giving offering prayer, and when he speaks, there's this happiness. It's not fake, because I know the same guy who's on stage is the same guy that I would see in life. When I see him, he's always joyful because he has that deep joy that radiates out of him. And it's contagious. It's contagious. Because when something is contagious of that nature, it actually challenges us. You begin to wonder, how do I live that out? How do I live that out in my own life? You might be asking, when will joy show up? You see, the amazing characteristics of, of the fruit of the joy is... It shows up when we least expect it. Will you feel this in? That joy is our secret weapon. I mentioned this quote before, uh, but I love it. I love this quote by G.K. Chesterton. He's a, he's a uh, philosopher and theologian. He said, joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian. Joy shows up when you least expect it and when you most need it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, Peter says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Just a quick observation of this text. Peter is speaking to these early Christians, these first century Christians who were scattered all over uh, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And he was encouraging them to find that joy, even through their suffering, because they were under a lot of trial, a lot of persecutions as Christ followers. 
And if we could break, part, break apart these two, this, uh, this verse into two sections, the first half of verse 8, it says, You have not seen him. You love him. What is he saying? When you first came to know Christ, in faith, you fell in love with him with all of your heart, mind, and soul because of who he is and what he has done on the cross. That when you heard the gospel for the first time, you experienced this incredible joy. And yet on the second half of that, verse 8, he says, Though you do not now, circle the word now, see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Paul saying, you do not see him now under these persecutions. You still can't see him, but you believe in him. Why is this so important for Peter? Why is he saying this? Why does he keep talking about you see him and you don't see him? Who is Peter? Peter is one of the apostles. He was one of the disciples of Jesus. Peter saw Jesus. He walked with him. He did ministry together with Jesus. He saw all of his miracles. He heard the Sermon on the Mount. He heard all, uh, this, all the different parables. He walked on water with Jesus. He saw Jesus on the cross and he experienced Jesus' resurrection. Peter is encouraging the church, whether you have seen Jesus or not, it is by faith that we believe, and that faith propels us to love, and that love gives us joy. And joy is even more important under these circumstances of trial and persecution. That it's one thing to love Christ, but it's another when we love Christ in the darkest moment of our lives. That's when joy appears even more brightly. A couple of years ago, I read this article um, about these eight men in prison. In April of 2005, uh, there was a group of nine Australians who smuggled, their drug traffickers, smuggled 8.3 kilos of heroin out of Indonesia. This is about 18 pounds of uh, heroin. And yet, they were actually caught as they were trying to uh, make that happen, and they were sentenced to death row in Bali, Indonesia. This group was known as the Bali Nine. Uh, they were in prison for about a decade for drug trafficking. All these men, except for one, became Christians. In fact, these eight men became Christ followers almost at the start of their incarceration. They had become fully committed followers of Jesus Christ, and in the, the, in the course of the 10 years that they were in prison, they started sharing the gospel to other prisoners, and their life was completely changed, not only in their life, but in the lives of others. Fast forward 10 years later, in April 2005, almost exactly 10 years after, these men faced execution by gunfire. And what's so remarkable is that on the evening of their execution, literally moments before their death, the eight prisoners started singing, Amazing Grace, and 10,000 Reasons. This article reads, The eight prisoners were said to have joined together to sing Amazing Grace and bless the Lord, O my soul, before their hymns were cut off by gunfire after 12.30 a.m. In fact, it says that they refused to be blindfolded during their execution because they actually wanted to worship at that moment. 
Matt Redman is the uh, songwriter for the song 10,000 Reasons or Bless the Lord, O My Soul. And there's a little article um, where he shares about this story and he says, I don't think it gets any more profound than this. First, as a worship leader, that the most amazing, that, that's the most amazing act of worship I've ever heard of. And second, it tells me that you could face anything in this life and still be found with a song of worship on your lips, even with a firing squad. What caused these men to sing songs of worship literally, literally minutes before their own life was taken? I think they understood 1 Peter 1.8. While they were in prison, they understood that they, though they have not seen him, they love him. While in their moments before death, before their execution, they understood that though they still did not see him, they believed in him and rejoiced with joy that is inexpressible and filled with God's glory. It is this type of joy, a joy the world will never, ever understand that allowed these men to sing, bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, worship his holy name. I bet you anything, literally at that moment when they came to that one line, sing like never before, I bet you they sang that part like never before. Isn't that amazing? Why is joy so important for us? Why is joy so important for us? Joy prepares us for all eternity. Joy is a preparation for eternity. A couple of verses before uh, the 1 Peter 1, 8 verse, I want to read verse, 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5, because it sets us, sets us up for that. It says this in 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4 is very important. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in that last time. Through Jesus, we have this living hope. But it does not end there. In verse 4, it says, It's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. And where is it? Where is this inheritance? It's kept in heaven for us. Then he continues on, verse 6 and 7 in 1 Peter. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though, it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That our joy, our joy is so deep, it's long-lasting, it comes from the Spirit, it is contagious, it serves as a secret weapon in times of trouble. All of that joy prepares us to meet Jesus face-to-face one day, that we will encounter the ultimate joy when this life ends and when we see Jesus, and when we are able to worship him through all eternity. You see, when we see Jesus, we don't have to worry about using joy as a secret weapon because the secret is already out, that we will experience God's presence together. Isn't that amazing news? Isn't that amazing news? This is my friend, Rena. Um, 
Rena is my college friend. We went to UCLA together, and uh, we, we, we were about the same age, and uh, we both served in our college ministry at our old church. Uh, we both served in worship teams together. Uh, we stayed friends even after college, uh, just doing ministry together. Rena passed away two years ago from stomach cancer. Rena and her husband uh, moved to Wisconsin about five years ago because uh, Joe, her husband, Joe, uh, is a professor there in Madison, Wisconsin. And after Rena and Joe moved to Wisconsin, uh, we lost touch a little bit. But when we heard the news that um, after five years of just fighting cancer, uh, her condition went from fighting to terminal. So we decided to take a visit. My wife and I and our friend Peter, uh, we flew out to Madison in August of 2016. And I got to tell you this, uh, I was so anxious to see her. Not the anxious type where you're excited, like, I can't wait till I see you. It's more like, oh, man, what do I say? What do I do? Like, she's so sick. Will she be in bed? Will she even recognize me? You know, that anxious feeling, like, you're anticipating, but you, you want to see them, but you don't want to see them because you're so nervous about it. You know, so from the moment we flew out from LAX, we actually landed in Chicago, and then we, from Chicago, we drove all the way to Madison. So there's this long stretch of time, and that whole time was just filled with anxiety. What do we do? What do I say? What would she say to me? What if she's mad at me for not being in touch for all these years? We finally drove to Madison. We found their house, and we parked, and we finally walked up to Joe and Rena's house. As soon as we knocked on the door, and as soon as her sister opened the door, I saw Rena, and she was so happy to see us. She was so elated. She was so happy to see us. She welcomed us in as if nothing has changed in our relationship. We hugged, we laughed, we talked about old times. They shared about their time in Wisconsin. She shared about her church life, how it's been such life-giving and blessing for the community of believers to come around her during this difficult time in her life. This was happening during her pain because I knew she was in a lot of pain because she would have to excuse herself a few times to get her treatment, get her medication, and yet she would come back to engage with us again with so much joy. You see, for Rena, she knew where she was headed. Though there were these earthly pains that she had to endure, real severe pains that I could never understand or fathom or imagine, she had this deep joy of Jesus inside of her and that she knew that she would fully be made new in her body when she meets Jesus face to face. And just like in verse 6 of 1 Peter 1, Rena rejoiced, though for a little while, Grieve by various trials. This little while on earth, we may grieve and suffer, but little while on earth is nothing compared to the eternity we're going to experience with Christ. That same year uh, of November 2016, we heard the news of Rena's passing. It was just an amazing memorial service. Um, and they asked me to lead worship, and so we had this incredible time of worship uh, at her funeral. And interestingly enough, um, I, I, as a pastor, I've been to many, many funerals in my lifetime. 
But this is one of the few where I actually was really joyful. I didn't, I didn't try to show it from my face, but in my heart, I was so joyful because I knew where Rena was. I knew that she is better. She's at a better place. Literally, it's not something that we just say to somebody, but I felt it, that she's in the presence of Jesus, and she's enjoying his presence for all eternity. That week, uh, I wrote this little post on my Instagram account, and I wrote a little tribute to her, and I said, Rena, this is your signature smile. It's the smile all your friends and family love, know and love about you. You have always been able to smile, laugh, and be joyous through all occasions. For we know God has given you such incredible gift of joy. For the joy of the Lord really was your strength. We miss it already. But now you're smiling in heaven, singing, laughing, running, eating good food, and worshiping your creator. Thank you for the blessings you are and have been to so many lives. We'll keep smiling here on earth as we celebrate you. We love you, Rena. We love you, Joe. For the joy of the Lord was Rena's strength. And that same joy will even be more celebrated in heaven with her creator, with our creator. As we wrap up, I just want to encourage you with some thoughts. You could be asking this question, how do I experience this joy? How do I experience this, this fruit of joy? Maybe you're saying, I'm just tapped in my joy. I can't go any further. If your joy has reached a certain limit, certain capacity, your capacity to experience joy is dependent upon your capacity to experience Jesus. How are you experiencing Jesus in your life? How are you, how are you experiencing Christ in your life? Are you becoming a disciple of Jesus? Are you spiritually growing as an individual? Are you able to measure your growth? Every time I think about discipleship, I think about uh, these three words that I use. I call it the three C's of life. The first C is Christ. Are you growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Are you growing in the grace and the knowledge of God, as is mentioned in 1 Peter 3? Do you know him personally? Are you reading your Bible or are you going deep in Scripture? Are you being able to read Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 and say that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love? Are you being rooted? Are you being grounded in love? Or are you just flipping on your phone in the morning, you go to your U version, you read one verse, you highlight it, make a light, nice picture out of it, and you just post it. Are you living out this word in your life every day? The second C I call is character. Is the word that you are studying, that you're going deep in, is that shaping your life? Is that challenging your character? Are you making decisions in life that will honor God? Is God humbling you as a person on a daily basis that he's constantly challenging you with these decisions that you have to make in life? And can others see you and see your character being developed? And the third C that I like to call is community. As you're being developed in your character, do you have someone in your life who can share that with, whom you can share that with? Someone who could constantly challenge you, pray with you, and keep you accountable? 
Or do you have a community that could come, come alongside of you and surround you during difficult, difficult times of life and journey with you to help you find that joy in Jesus? A couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Gary mentioned about this couple who lost their baby, baby JT. Um, and it was such a devastating season for our church and especially for uh, JT's parents, Sandy and Ted. I heard that they had a, a really beautiful memorial service here at church. But I also heard that the day after the memorial service, that Sunday evening, Ted and Sandy's life group got together and they did a night of worship and prayer. Our brother Dan here, he led worship for that time and I just thought that was so remarkable. I don't know the couple very well, but just the fact that these group of men and women gathered together not only to celebrate and, and live out the joy with one another, but to find joy in, in Christ during the most difficult seasons of their life through worship. That's powerful. That's true community. That's a real living community where you could grow together. You will experience joy when we experience Christ from the depth of our heart. In the life of a Christian, joy is made complete when Christ is made alive in us. There's no other satisfaction than, that could compare to knowing Christ. And knowing, loving, and following Jesus produces us joy. Only then we could read James chapter 1 and uh, verse 2 and hold on to this joy. We've heard it many times. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. What are we counting? We are counting the joy we have in Jesus because James is telling us that we need to count it all. And I would even say, count it only joy, count it nothing but joy, that we experience only joy, and it cannot be substituted by any other emotion. Joy flows out of a life of a believer. The word joy in the Greek is kara, kara. The word grace in the Greek is charis. Both come from the same root. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor, God's unmerited favor. It's an undeserved gift. It is by grace we are saved in Jesus Christ. And it is only when you experience grace, you experience joy. Kara is the normal outcome of charis. We have joy in our heart because of God's grace. And when you experience God's charis, you will be filled with God's kara. I pray that as you live in God's grace, you would experience that joy, 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 where? Down in my heart. Not only today, but forevermore. Amen? Let's go to the Lord and pray together. Father, as we um, have been exploring this idea of joyful fruit, I know that there are few of us or maybe many of us in this room who are still trying to figure that out where they're suffering and there's so much despair in their life and hopelessness. God, I pray that, that you would meet them, that you would listen to their prayer and that they would uh, just be able to go deeper in love with you. God. And I know it sounds great, 
But Lord, I know it's hard in real life. And I pray that, Lord, in real life, that all of us would continue to find that joy, that the desire to love you and to know Jesus even more so that joy will be just a natural outcome of who we are, that it will be that fruit that we would always uh, just be overflowing with, Lord. And so, God, I pray that you'll speak that truth into our church today and that you speak to all of us, Lord, as we follow Christ together. God, we love you. We thank you. It is in the name of Jesus we all prayed.